Thanks for listening to the Pioneer Valley Church podcast. Our hope is that what you hear encourages your faith in the way of Jesus and inspires you to participate in what God is up to in the world. God bless. Well, you will notice I uh, don't have my iPad up here this morning. Um, uh, I woke up this morning first thing and went to go prepare for, you know, today, this morning. And and uh, the brand new iPad I just bought like so. a, a month ago was smashed. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I know, that's how I felt. Um, and, and, uh, and you know, I was looking at, and it just immediately set the tone for me. And all these emotions came up of anger and disappointment, and somebody's to blame for this. I've got to figure out who. And then, and then embarrassment, because, oh, I just spent money on this, and now it's going to cost more money, and I'm going to have to explain that to people in my household, and all this stuff. We have emotions. And we respond emotionally to things. And there is this fallacy in the modern worldview that somehow internally we can just fix everything that we need. That somehow on our own, exclusive from anybody else, in a self-autonomous, self-containing identity, we can discover the light within us and the truth that is truly true, because it's our truth, and resolve all of our inner conflict. How's that going for you? And time and time again, what God does is he gets our attention through pain. And he reminds us that we are not self-contained. We are not unto ourselves alone. But we are in need. I appreciated what uh, uh, the brother shared this morning uh, about recognizing that even early on in his life. Like, I, I... Philosophy is fantastic. It gets us to some really deep questions and some meaningful searching. But at the end of the day, what we need is something outside of ourselves. Something higher than ourselves. And then we need that authority, that goodness in our lives, which is God and the triune community. We need that to be lived out beyond just our relationship with God alone, but in a community of people who can help us in that relationship, who we can reflect with back and forth in that relationship. We're starting this series, Love One Another, the way of Jesus together. And that together part is really important. Because too often... In the North American Christian world, following Jesus has been an individual endeavor. Now, I'll say this. There is absolutely a right place for accountability personally. And Jesus would speak with the rich young ruler and hold him accountable personally. Or Zacchaeus personally. But what he was inviting them into was not an individual journey as much as it was to be a part of the new creation, the old that is gone and the new that has come. And that creation is lived out in a new family, a new community. Am I making sense? And so we're on this idea of how do we learn to follow Jesus together? 
And we've, we've realized, right? And we're learning more and more as a society, as a culture, like we just don't do well alone. And what I mean by alone is we, we don't do well in isolation. Uh, I would say alone time is okay. The introverts in the room feel pretty good with some alone time, right? I need some alone time. God has given me five people to live with at all times. And every now and then, I just need to get up a little earlier than everybody else or stay up a little later than everybody else to just be alone for a little bit, right? Alone time is okay because we, we find rest, reflection, renewal. We, we pray in alone time. But isolation is not that. Because you can be isolated and be with people all the time. You can feel isolated in that nobody knows you. That you're wrestling with all this internal conflict on your own and nobody knows it. And many of us have felt that. But God designed us to need one another. To not go it alone in isolation in that way. Knowing that we would function best in community. I got to turn my clicker here on. In uh, John 13, if you wouldn't mind hitting that slide for me while I get this going. John 13, Jesus says this, A new command I give you, love one another. So just look around for a moment. This is who he's talking about. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by what? By your love for one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. If you love one another, how does Jesus love us? Well, first and foremost, he showed up. God came down in embodied flesh and dwelled with us. Lived in our story. Entered into our humanity with all of our limitations And all of our nuances and all of our challenges, Jesus was hungry, he got sad, he went thirsty, he got stubbed his toe, he did all the things that you do, right, as a human being. He had to deal with conflict with people in authority, he had to deal with conflict with people he was trying to work with, he had to deal with conflict just in strangers. He lived your humanity. He came in flesh and dwelled among us. And so there is no substitute for together. There is no substitute for love one another. It has to be something we do together. Because we need others. We need others. We need, we need flesh. We need people who are embodied next to us to help reflect back to us who we are. And to help us live out this thing called following Jesus. This is why virtual relationships don't work. It's not working romantically in the world. It doesn't. (laughs) Uh, All right. We're going to leave that one alone. We're going to leave that alone. But we know it's not working, right? Um, uh, we know, studies are even showing like the, 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 the lack of empathy is on the increase or empathy is on the decline. And the correlation 
is somewhere around the time of our smartphones. And we start to see this, especially amongst college-age people, because this is where they're this is where they're communicating most. Um, we know that virtual relationship is not the ideal for human flourishing, and this is why we come to church. This is why virtual church is not church. Like I love that we stream. I think it's very good. It's very helpful for people who are going through hard times. And many in our community just need to be able to stay up with us. And they're watching right now. And I love that we can serve them in that way. Amen. And I love that it's an opportunity for people who don't know us to get to know us a little bit. But this is church. Church happens in an embodied presence. In, uh, with other people. Together. Loving one another. You cannot love the way Jesus loved by yourself. You can feel a lot of love, but man, it is not actually loving like Jesus loved until you get around other people and you start bumping into each other. That is what it means together, to be together. And whether it's a small group or a large group or two people gathering to take communion together, The body of Christ, the fellowship, is meant to display Christ to the world. This is what he's saying. He's saying, as you interact with one another, that relationship communicates something to the rest of the world. And what it's meant to communicate is that Jesus is real. The new has come. That there is an apocalyptic event that has happened, a world-ending event that is Jesus, and a new world has been opened up, and the proof of that is in how you treat one another, how we love one another. You say, yeah, but people are so messy. Yes, we are, and I just want to say, like, if, if... if you, if, you, if you have this kind of philosophy of, I just want to find the perfect church, you should just forego that journey because if there was a perfect church, they wouldn't let you become a member. They wouldn't let me become a member. Because we are flawed people. And we all have cracks. We all have flaws. We all have things that are not our ideal. And we all, we, all, we all wrestle with that, right? And we're meant to wrestle with that. And I loved what he shared in communion about God is trying to shape us over time in the way of Jesus to become people of love. How do you become more a person of love than you started? You don't get there by just reading your Bible. You don't get there by just agreeing with right theology. You get there through practicing in all of your failures yeah. over time yeah. in a community where there's grace and truth. Amen. Where people will be gracious enough to keep you with them Amen. and truthful enough to help you grow. Amen. Are you with me right there? Yes. And then you need a lot of time. Yeah. Let's just set that expectation. Right. Many of us, myself included, we're working on things we've been working on for decades. Yes. Decades. Right? But the truth is this. Love requires others. Yeah. 
And this is what Jesus is after. Love requires others. And you know this if you are married. You know that as soon as the closer you get to people, the more you see how much you need to grow. Yeah, that's true. Right? Um, Look, I, I, I grew up around here. Many of you know that story, right? I, I grew up here in, in uh, Western Massachusetts. And, and, and uh, man, I'm so grateful that our, my family gets to attend church together. Amen. Like, my kids are back there with my parents, and we're worshiping together. I was able to baptize my folks here in 2011, uh, Christmas Day. Yeah, was, that's part of the story of my story with this church, even from afar, is those interactions that have happened. And, um, and, 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 you know, growing up, though, um, I, I, it wasn't perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and there were bumps and bruises along the way. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming your story looks something like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Very few of us uh, go through life unscarred somehow. Yeah. Right. Like, just, it all just is smooth. Everything's stable all the time, and everybody's emotionally well all the time, and all, everything, me, it, no, that's not how life goes, right? I'm looking at it with my kids this morning in an interaction with my children, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I did that wrong. Yeah. That's probably going to be a father wound, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm going to have to, there, that might be some counseling later on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. For real. I became a Christian at uh, 20 years old, and it transformed my life. It was a life-altering experience. And, and I, from that point on, I started to, to grow and mature. God started to take me into places in my own life, my heart, my past. I had never really gone. Didn't even, I wasn't even equipped to go. But now in community, it, with people who are willing to be gracious and speak the truth and give me time, I was starting to go there. And I started to get in touch with things like emotions. I had two emotions before I became a Christian, weird or happy. Like I either felt happy about things or I felt a little weird. I'm not sure what that is, right? And suddenly I started to learn there are all kinds of other ways that you can communicate emotions and be in touch and understand how that affects your life and your discipleship, et cetera, right? Um, And I started to get pretty good at that. And I worked through a lot of stuff and a lot of my own coping mechanisms. I started to adjust and suddenly I was getting to a really healthy place emotionally and and I was doing well. And then I got married. <laughs> I fell in love with this amazing, you know, spiritual, dis- serving, smart, um, witty, a little intimidating woman, you know. That, and it was such a beautiful moment in my life. And then very early on, very quickly in my marriage, I realized, oh, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> And I'm bumping into things, and things are bumping into me about emotions and relationship and conflict, and I am at a complete loss. And there are things coming out of me that I don't want to come out of me, but that's the only thing I know how to do right now. Fight or flight, whatever it was, right? And, and then we worked on that for a while, and things got better. And I feel like we got into a really good rhythm, a really good place. We're understanding, we're empathizing, we're communicating well. And then we started having children. <laughs> And then we had a few more children along the way. And, and now we're managing chaos all the time. And, and, and in the chaos, we're trying to communicate to these uncontrollable little humans and with one another. And suddenly all this new stuff's coming out. Yeah. 
in the pain of conflict and challenge and confusion. And are, am I making sense? Have you guys ever heard of this? Okay. So, so now we're working through all this stuff. And, and now it's like, okay, now I've got a whole other way. I've got to learn how to be and how to become more of a person of love that I'm clearly not being right now as I raise my voice at my kids again or as me and Rachel get into a grind again because we're miscommunicating on something and we go to our corners. Or Do you know what I'm talking about? Like I've got to now figure out a new way to follow Jesus. And it happens so beautifully in a family because we're all trying to follow Jesus. And so... We have community over time with truth and grace. And we're, we're growing. We're changing. We're, it's not perfect. It's messy. Come hang out with us for a weekend. But isn't that kind of how God works? I mean, kind of, that is how God works. And actually, that's how God works in this community, too. That you bump in, you, you have conflict, you have disappointment, you miscommunicate, you don't empathize, empathize, you get suspicious, you assume motives, all those things of people, yes. and something comes out of you. How you deal with that comes out of you, right? Yes. Um, love requires others. This is, the, this is the, the challenging part of this process for us. <laughs> Science tells us in our cognitive awareness, we are only about 5% conscious of our thoughts and emotions. That explains, all the women are like, that explains it. I <laughs> I've been telling him, how can you be thinking about nothing? He's like, it's 5%. I don't know. It's all I got. It's all I got. Um, we're only about 5% conscious. Of, so, so what brought you here this morning and what is, what is currently happening in your little supercomputer that is your brain um, that you're aware of is about 5%. Wow. 95% of how you function day in and day out is subconscious. Wow. Wow. And that subconscious affects, it's reading and, and it's got this beautiful radar that God gave us. It is reading and scanning at all times to give messages and signals and cues to how to interpret and navigate life. And it's happening in your relationships all the time. And it happens in our relationships. And this is what we typically tend to do. What we see in our relationships, or even in our relationship to ourselves, most often is, kind of, is the behavior part of it. We see the behavior. We see the angry outburst. We see the emotional withdrawal. We see the pouting. We see the whatever it is, right? And maybe, if we're so inclined, we might address it spiritually by looking to what's the sin of the heart? Is there envy? Is there pride? Is there bitterness? And we may do that with us, or we may do that with others. And that's typically where we stop. But that's not how you and I actually get to that place of behavior, or even the sins of the heart. What's often missed is that that behavior, yeah, it's tied to some sin. Jesus says in Matthew 7, what comes out of us is what makes us unclean, right? So it's tied to something there. But that is actually often tied to some sort of coping that you're doing in your life for pain. So maybe it's the pain of embarrassment. Maybe it's the pain of loneliness. Maybe it's the pain of disappointment. And that's not a sin, that's pain. But in coping with it, in your fight or flight mechanism, 
You're reacting in anger, lashing out, punching the steering wheel and cursing out the guy who just cut you off. You know what I'm saying? But really what's happened there is there's a pain of feeling disrespected. Feeling like somebody's taking something from you. Am I making sense? Now that's now you you could scale that out to all the other things that we struggle with, all the other addictions and things, the cyclical things that we wrestle with are most often coping with some pain in our lives. And that pain most often isn't just in that moment. It's not coming from that moment. But your subconscious is bringing up all the thousands of files in that moment from your past, from your trauma that you experienced, the traumatic events that you experienced, the wounds that went unhealed in your past. And often those wounds and trauma and pain happened in or were interpreted through your family of origin. What I mean is this. A lot of those early years, our adolescent years, we're just trying to figure out how do relationships work? How does this whole, how do I navigate this whole thing? And we're in a family unit or we have some sort of caretakers if we're lucky and, and we're learning from them how to work through embarrassment and shame and loneliness and sadness and anger and disappointment and all that stuff, right? And depending on how, the health of your family, you're learning different things. And maybe even in your family, you're, you're, you're on the receiving end of some of that pain. And that's many of our stories. But even if you're not, if you grew up in a family that just didn't talk about emotions, well, when you feel emotional, guess what you do? Or you're in a family that, that shot down anybody's emotions, stop being a baby. Why? Quit complaining. Just pick yourself. Let's keep going. We got things to do. Yeah. Guess how you deal with yourself and with others? Yeah. Yeah. True. Are, am I making sense? Yeah. Yeah. This, is your sub, this is running at a subconscious level for you. So what you're seeing is selfishness or, you know, withdrawal or whatever, these behaviors. And maybe there's some sins of the heart there. But this, we are deep waters. And what we're after together in community is that we need to learn how to work through these things together. Now, we're not all going to be professional counselors in each other's lives. That's not the goal. And actually, the goal of this series is not even to fix all of our problems. The goal of this series is just to bring some awareness and some language that we can begin to explore some of this stuff. Because if we don't, what happens is then we interpret and base one another on behaviors, or maybe we judge people on sins of the heart, and that determines our relationships. Or maybe we only deal with our behaviors and sins of the heart, and we don't go any deeper than that with God. And we end up long time in the, Christian, but, uh, in the church, but unhealthy emotionally. And you and I know those people. And if you don't, guess what? You may be that person. You may be that person in the small group that people are like, don't get him triggered. Because there goes the night. He's going to pout in the corner for two hours. Do you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about. So we, work, we see this. We work this out in community. And we've got to be able to go deeper than just behavior. 
Uh, we are reading together a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. And he lays out 10 uh, symptoms of unhealthy spirituality or immature spirituality. And I'm going to try to get through these quickly uh, together. So 10 things that he lays out. One is using God to run from God. Okay, well, you're, ooh, sounds interesting, right? What does that mean? And that means often we, we are very busy doing Christian activity to try to satisfy something in ourselves, not God. We're trying to deal with some deep-seated insecurity in ourselves that if we just serve a little bit more, get a little bit more recognition in the community, X, Y, and Z, we'll feel better about ourselves. If I just share my faith, then I'll feel like I'm doing good, and that'll help me feel better emotionally. Am I making sense? And so we, we, we can use God to run from God. And what God wants to do is help you heal in the insecurity, to go back through the pain, to wrestle with that, to let him into those places in your life and in community with grace and time and truth and become more of a person of love. Two, we, we do things in God's name he never asked us to do. Yeah. Meaning we, we get guilt-driven, performance-driven, yeah. right? And then we overstep our roles in our own lives and in the lives of others. And we overextend ourselves and we become these schedule martyrs because I have to just give it all and do it all, all the time. And if I don't, what does that mean for me? And what if people don't have me showing up and all of that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, And then we overstep our boundaries with other people, meaning like, you know, we figure out for somebody else how they're doing spiritually. And then we decide how to curate their life so that they can do better spiritually. But we never bring them into the conversation. And so we do things in God's name that he never asked us to do. Three, we allow extrinsic motivators to run our behavior. This is the reward fear thing, the reward shame thing, right? The extrinsic motive. If I do X, Y, and Z, I will be rewarded. People will like me. I will get more responsibility, more influence, yada, 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 right? If I don't, I will receive the other side of that, right? People will reject me. We don't differentiate between who we are and how people respond to us. And so we just own whatever people think of us. And we let extrinsic motivators run us. Four, we use the Bible to judge others so that we feel better about ourselves. Never done this one before, right? Um, It's just a spiritual arrogance, a spiritual pride that's born of insecurity. All arrogance is just born of insecurity. Because if you're actually secure, you have nothing to prove, nothing to hide. You have no reason to judge anyone else. And actually, if you're maturing in a healthy way in Christ, you don't even judge yourself for the mistakes you've made in the past. Because you've worked through it and suddenly you go, man, I understand where I was and where God took me through. And I can have grace even on my past. And I can have grace on people who are still there. And I know God's faithful and he'll work them through it too. But we judge. Uh, we, we, uh, we get selective about what we obey and we hide behind certain strengths, right? To avoid the cracks in our character and our wounded past. So maybe we're really good at something 
And we bring that to the table when we come to the church. And we excel in it, and people praise us for it, and it becomes the thing we're known for in the community because we're really good at it. And in our marriages, our spouse is going, you've continued to be removed emotionally for the last two decades, and I need you. And your children need you. And you go, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to just get more affirmation from what I do, what I'm excellent at. We lean into those things and we avoid the cracks. We avoid the painful parts of our lives. Uh, Am I jumping around here? I'm jumping around here. I was still just number one. Oh, my gosh. That was so... That was just number one. Sorry, that was all my sub points for number one. I got to get through this faster than that. Okay. So all that was using God to run from God. So there you go. Somebody really needed to hear that point. You guys are so gracious, though. I kept talking, and you're like, that's not on the list. What's he talking about? Okay, two, number two, here we go. Wow. Number two, uh, we ignore anger, sadness, and fear. So we get sad, we just get more productive to deal with the sadness. Um, We get angry, well, we just forgive, don't bring it up, be polite. Rachel's laughing over there. She's laughing at me, by the way. That's my dynamic. Um, we get afraid. We don't admit the fear. We puff up. We get a little bit more bravado in our spiritual walk or tone or whatever, right? We get a little louder. We defend our position a little more clearly. We may even get some scriptures to defend our position. Uh, I love what uh, Mr. Rogers said. <laughs> And he said, anything that's human is mentionable. And anything that is mentionable can be more manageable. When we can talk about our feelings, they become less overwhelming, less upsetting, and less scary. In other words, emotions that are mentionable are manageable. We all, all the married people learned this at the marriage retreat last weekend. And we just need to be able to have a safe place where there is grace and truth and time to actually talk in explicit how we feel and to work those things out. Three, we die to the wrong things when we're emotionally unhealthy, unspiritually, unspiritual, or immature spiritually. Uh, We're called to deny ourselves and carry our cross. But the key thing in that denying yourself is the carrying your cross part. Meaning, doing the will of God in a self-offering act of love that comes of who you are and what you want. And you deny the part of you that does not want to offer yourself in love. That's what the cross was. Does that make sense? We're not called to deny the parts of ourselves that enjoy friendships and art and music and goodness of life. We're not called to be schedule martyrs where we just fill ourselves up so much trying to deny ourselves and yet we're depleted. Am I making sense? 
So we've got to learn the right things to deny ourselves. We've got to deny our selfishness. We've got to deny the parts of us that want to run and hide. Okay, four, denying the impact of the past on the present. This is huge. This is all that subconscious that comes into play. We learned this other thing. Oops, sorry. We learned this other thing. Uh, at the marriage retreat about the 90-10 rule, and we'll talk about this later, but basically it says 90% of your conflicts, right. oh, sorry, all of your conflicts, 90% of what's happening there has to do with your past and not the actual moment. Right. 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 Only 10% has to do with the misunderstanding or the person. or what. 90% of it has to do with something in your history. It's humbling, right? But that's what we bring to the table. That's all the subconscious that we bring to the table. Um, and, and yes, we recognize, look, the old has gone, the new has come, right? This is, these are spiritual truths in our lives. But if you were baptized and stayed alive for another five minutes, you quickly realized, <laughs> my sins are forgiven. I've got this new covenant relationship with God, but there's still a lot in me that's got to get worked out. And we can try to deny that and just speak Christianese and do the churchianity thing and, and just be a good, just try to be a good Christian. And, it, and we don't grow. We stay immature. Five, diving, dividing life into secular and, and sacred. And, what, and we've talked about this in the past, but kind of going, hey, here's the, the Christian activity things that I do. And then everything else in my life really doesn't have to do with God. And so we don't allow God to have a place and a part and a role in our work life or in our family life or in our marriage or in our parenting or in our finances or all the other things that make up our life because we let God be at church on Sunday or in our small group or whatever. Does that make sense? When we pray and we read our Bible, that's where God is. God isn't in all these other things. And so we divide up the sacred and the secular and we, we stay immature because of that. Six, Doing for God instead of doing from who you are because you're with God. Doing for God instead of being with God. And uh, we just did a whole series on this slowing down, right? Um, We've got to give of ourselves from, from what we actually have. And we have to receive that from God. That takes being with God and slowing down enough to be with God. If you're at everything, but you don't have time to be with God, you're not maturing spiritually. You're an active member of a Christian organization, but you may not be participating in the church. Am I making sense? We've got to to make space to slow down, to be with God, to give from that place. Seven, spiritualizing away conflict. (laughs) Oh, goodness, right? We have a conflict. Something happens, and we go, well, I'm just going to be the humble one. I'm going to be the humble one and not bring it up. And we have, but really what we're saying is, I don't want to bring this up. I want to avoid this like the plague. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward, and I'm feeling all these things internally. I don't even know what to do with, so I'm just going to be humble and not, does that make sense? And we we spiritualize away conflict. Um, we smooth it over with politeness and service, but really there's brooding bitterness that's growing. And the Bible warns if you don't deal with that bitterness, it will grow up and defile many. Yeah. Not just the people that you're bitter at, but the people in your life, the people that you care about most. 
Eight, we cover over brokenness, weakness, and failure. Look, we are all coming from broken places. We're all still, in many ways, broken and, and after healing. And the, the more you get to know me, the more you're going to see all those parts of me. And, you know, even this morning, Rachel and I, you know, we, I had this interaction with, with our kids and the iPad and all the frustration and all the stuff, and they're not listening the first time, and I lash out. And there's a part of me that just wanted to stay in my corner and get to church. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like not address the emotional thing that just happened, not address the failure in my character, not address the fact that I was just impatient and, 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 and not address even in my own heart the times when I want to control things Come on. because I don't feel like I'm in control. Yeah. And that comes from all kinds of other places, right? Yeah. And I just, we, me and Rachel had a little powwow in the, church, in the kitchen and she reflected and empathized, and we prayed together on the way to church. And, but we are all working through stuff all the time. And we've, we've got to have a place where we can not cover over that stuff, but actually expose that stuff and talk about it. And not just talk about it, but walk with each other in it. And, and let each other have the time with God through grace and truth to heal in some of those things. Nine, living without limits. And when we don't have good boundaries, when we overextend, yeah. uh, we stay immature. Um, when we don't have good boundaries with other people demanding of us that we overextend for them, we stay immature and we allow them to stay immature. And if we feel this burden that if I don't X, Y, and Z for them, they won't stay faithful. Man, that's an overextension. Suddenly we believe that we're God. They need me in their life and for me to do the things that I'm doing in order for them to stay faithful to God. There might be some misprioritizing the ranks of what's actually happening in the universe right there. But we, we overextend and we stay immature and we enable other people to stay immature. And then 10, judging other people's spirituality. And, and, I, and I, we talked about that, right? We, we can look at other people and we can be so critical of how prejudiced other people are and yet we have our prejudices. We can be so critical about how prideful and arrogant other people are and as though we're never prideful and arrogant. We can be so critical uh, do you know what I'm saying? And we don't yeah. look at the plank in our own eye. Yeah. And we, we say these stupid things like, you know, uh, hate the sin and love the sinner. Right. And I love what Guy Hammond says. He says, forget that. Hate your own sin yeah. and love everybody. Right. Yes. But if you, if you take a hard look at your own sin, you won't have time to worry about other people's sin. You won't have time to judge them for what they're, where they're lacking. You got enough of a plank in your own eye that you're working through. We're all on a spiritual journey, and God is going to get our attention through pain. That's not the only way he gets our attention. He gets our attention through beauty and awe and relationships and all the other. But God will get our attention, especially in the places where you need to grow and mature through pain. Where's the pain point in your life right now? 
your marriage, parenting, your relationships in the church? Where's the pain point? God is trying to get your attention. Will you allow him to take you on a journey in community to heal? This is what that journey looks like. We're all on these journeys. One, we have a life-changing moment, a life-changing awareness of God that happens. Maybe you study the Bible and you get baptized and you become a Christian and you go, this is amazing. My life just transformed, right? What happens? You take on a discipleship of Jesus in that. You begin learning how to follow Jesus. And that may be weeks or months or years or whatever that you're learning. And then you, along the way, you begin to have an active life of serving, of giving, of contributing, of participating in the way of Jesus. And then somewhere in that process, again, months or weeks or years, you hit the wall. And the wall could be a conflict with a leader or a conflict with somebody in your group or a disappointment in the person that you really love in the church or of whatever. But you hit the wall. And most people at that point in the wall, they go, well, it must be the church. I got to go find a better church. And then they go on this journey of never finding the right church. And slowly but surely, they just depart from Christianity altogether. Because then maybe it's just people. And if it's, maybe, if it's not just people, and I'm actually not even able to keep this thing up on my own, then maybe it's just God in general in the Bible. And then maybe the whole thing. And we've watched people go, right? Yep. Drift. Yep. But we all hit that wall. And that's the place. That's the point of pain. And there's different walls in, your, in different relationships. Wall, you're hit, you will hit walls many times in your marriage. You will hit walls many times in your parenting. You will hit walls in your relationship to your work. You will hit walls over and over and over. And that's where God goes, I want to bring you in. I want to bring you down. I want to work through this. I want to help you journey inward. And when we're willing to allow God to help us go on that journey, what happens is out of that, we, we, we persevere, we transform. The Bible says we gain character and hope because we experience the Holy Spirit in a new way. And from that, we are able to give outward of ourselves from authentically who we are. We are more transformed into a person of love. Yeah. And then in that person of love, do you know what happens? We start to have more awareness of God. And we start to have more moments where our lives are being changed by the awareness of God because we're authentically loving people. And then we go on it all over again. This is the spiritual journey. This is the journey towards emotional health and maturity. This is the journey that you are on. Whether you like it or not, you're on that journey. And you have to deal with, will I deal with the wall? And will I deal with it in community? Or will I go through all the other things, just the 10 things or the 20 things that I gave you with the others? (laughs) Will I approach it that way? God is going to get your attention through pain. But he's calling you to a new command. To love one another. To love as he has loved. To show up in each other's lives. Even in our pain. Even wherever we're at in our journey. To show up. We are not going to solve it all, not in this life. But we're, we're going to be more complete than we were when we started this journey. Yeah. And this, again, this series is not going to fix all our problems, but I'm hoping it's going to give us some awareness to this process. And little by little, with little attempts in our community, we will grow 
to be more mature spiritually, to be more mature emotionally. And this is the thing that Pete Scazzaro says, and I'll close with this. He says, you cannot mature spiritually if you do not mature emotionally. They are not separated. You are an integrated human being. Your mind, emotions, and body are all spiritual. You will, you can be around the church for a long time, know how, have a lot of skills in your tool belt, but you may not be actually maturing in Christ if you are not maturing emotionally. Let's learn to love one another more and more. Let's go on this journey together. Love you guys.